<laughs> Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Already Father, we thank you that you have enlivened our soul. You've given our soul life. We no longer fear death because our soul is alive. Physical death can't harm us. In Jesus' name, we have been translated into the kingdom of light and our soul is alive. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now let's have a big amen. Yeah, that's right. Sounds like you mean it. Thank you, team. Well, wonderful to be with you today. And anyone who's uh, watching on YouTube or Facebook, we've been looking at the book of James. Five short chapters. We've had a look at trials and tribulations in James chapter 1. We've looked at when love comes to town in James chapter 2. We've looked at the way of Christ in James chapter 3. We've even spoken about last week of the higher calling and the war of the whiskers. But today, on a little-known portion of parchment, we find this little um, encouragement. Possibly written by James, but not sure. Is your patience wearing thin? Are you suffering from an encouragement deficit? Is your perseverance waning? Do honest words and actions seem like a distant memory? Are you carrying dis-ease in your body and spirit? Has your life's journey taken you down a side road and you can't get back to the highway? Sounds like you're looking for the one another life, which is the title of today's preaching, the one another life. In James chapter 5, he begins with a little bit of something like in the style of an Old Testament prophecy, which is really lambasting all of the rich, wealthy, and the powerful. And he's using that as a springboard to what we're going to look at today, starting from James chapter 7. Let's have a look at that together. James chapter 7. Dear brothers, uh, sorry, James chapter 5, verse 7, for all those following at home. Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage, for the coming of the Lord is near. This one another life that James is speaking about, the idea for it came from the, oh, the use of the terminology, dear brothers and sisters. So James is only five chapters long, and he uses this quite a lot of times. In Paul's writing to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians, he uses the phrase six, uh, 21 times, but it's a 16-chapter letter. Here, James has got five chapters, and he mentions it 14 times. So 
he's really onto something about brothers and sisters being together in a family, the one another life. And the first thing he's speaking about here is demonstrating patience. Be patient, he says, as you wait for the Lord's return. How many people know that just saying be patient to somebody doesn't actually automatically make them be patient? A few of you have discovered that. Um, James also spoke about patience in chapter 1. He said, count it all joy when you meet various trials because that uh, trying of your faith produces patience. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. So what he's doing, as any good teacher does, he's kind of recapping and then building on the stuff that he's already taught about. So he's using some examples today of the farmer, the prophet, and Job. Patience. Well, what a great one another opportunity we have to live the one another life and express our life with one another through the act of patience. You know, patience is not just being indifferent. So, like, let's take, for example, if I'm flying to the United States and I'm waiting in the, in the departure lounge and an announcement comes over, ladies and gentlemen, the flight to Auckland has been delayed through engine trouble. Well, I'm not worried about that because I'm flying to the United States. So it doesn't worry me that all those people have to wait for their flight to get to Auckland. I'm quite happy. But if they say, ladies and gentlemen, the flight to Los Angeles has been delayed, it's fallen into the river, then I'm going to be, obviously I'm going to be upset about the plane in the river, but I'm also going to be kind of thinking, well, what am I going to do? How am I going to get there? I'm going to start to worry. So it's not uh, indifference. Being patient is not indifference. And it's also not just taking everything a little bit slower. There used to be a, a song, some of you might remember, it was a kid's song in a ministry called uh, The Music Machine. Uh, so a few years, uh, the song went, have patience, sing along. Have patience, don't be in such a hurry. Remember, oh sorry, impatient, you only start to worry. Remember, remember that God is patient too. And think of all the times when others have to wait for you. <laughs> so patience is not just going slower either. Not just kind of putting off the point of anxiousness or worry. I like this quote um, from Dr. Darrell Ferguson. He, he has a definition of patience. He says, patience is an active recalibration of the clock of our expectations to align with divine providence. The recalibration of the clock of our expectations to line up with divine providence. Our expectations lining up with divine providence. James refers to the Lord's return. He says, the Lord is coming, waiting for the return of the Lord. So he's, he's speaking about it as a dead set certainty. 100% going to happen. 
And he also says later in that verse that we just read, he says, the coming of the Lord is near. Meaning the coming of the Lord is near. Meaning that doesn't matter how many years it takes, the coming of the Lord is near. It's imminent. It's about to happen. Martin Luther said, I preach as though Christ died yesterday. I preach as though he rose from the dead today. I preach that he's coming back as if he's coming back tomorrow. The certainty of the return of the Lord Jesus and the imminent return of Jesus is a wonderful encouragement to Christians. And no matter the persecution, no matter the oppression, we look to see the coming of the Lord Jesus. That's why we can be patient. When Jesus comes, it doesn't say um, about our um, return or our going to heaven. He's not talking about that. He's talking about Jesus' return. When Jesus comes, as we see later in the the, uh, chapter, it's a time of judgment. And all those people that are oppressing, all those evil, wicked um, moves against the church, against Christians, all of those things will be silenced. That's why we can have... um, confidence and patience Uh, for several years i lived in gilgandra yeah there's one gilgandra friend here oh another one over here and um oh another there and uh so in gilgandra while i was teaching there i got to know several of the farmers i actually lived on a farm and one of the things about farming community is they really understand um patience that's why james uses it in this uh, example they really understand patience and they know that when the farmer is working the field sowing the seed he's waiting for the um the rain to come now in gilgandra very low rainfall and so the farmer prepares the ground and digs up the ground and you can see all around the place there's dust in the air when they're kind of um, scarifying and plowing up the ground to put the seed in. And they do that in faith, believing that the rain is going to come. They can't actually dig up the ground after the rain because it's too boggy. So they must dig it up first without any rain, believing that the rain's going to come. So they plant the seed, the rain comes, the seed germinates, and then they wait for the next lot of rain, which is going to bring the harvest and bring it to its ripe position. It says uh, the valuable harvest. He's waiting for the valuable harvest to ripen. The two elements of the the rain falling are actually helping to bring about the harvest. If the rain didn't come, there would be no harvest. So... While it might seem uncomfortable, tricky, uh, will it happen, won't it happen, without preparing for the rain to come, you're never going to reach the outcome, which is the valuable harvest. So that's why the farmer has learned to be patient. You notice in that verse, it says, it explains a total dependence on God because he says he patiently waits for the rain, And then it says he eagerly looks for the harvest. Patiently waits, 
and eagerly looks. And he's using, James used this example to help us to understand what it is to be patient. We, we must be people who are patiently waiting. God's working his plan. And we must eagerly look towards the culmination or the fulfillment of the plan. Now, this is our first opportunity, really, in the one another life to outwork patience so that we can be a demonstration to other people. Um, Paul takes up the idea in 2 Corinthians. He says, Even when we are weighed down with troubles, it is for your comfort and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things that we suffer. So the patience working out in me is actually a demonstration for you and when you have patience and demonstrate that to me, I get that example to follow. So we work it out together. The second thing we read in verse 9 of James chapter 5. James says, don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. So the second opportunity for the one another life is speaking words of encouragement. Grumbling, groaning, sighing, murmuring, they actually all have inherent in each of those actions, there's a judgment. If you murmur, if you grumble, if you sigh, if you moan about something, you've already made a judgment. You notice that James says, don't grumble about each other. He's not saying, don't grumble about the government, don't grumble about the weather, don't grumble about your workload, or don't grumble about the long queue at Macca's. He's saying, don't grumble about each other. In other words, as in the words of Jesus in the Sermon of the Mount, judge not lest ye be judged the judge is standing at the door. That means in our grumbling, when we have placed a judgment on someone, we have already going to be judged. And now, James says, the judge is just outside the door. That close. We have to be really, really careful about pronouncing a judgment on other people, particularly, as James is pointing out, brothers and sisters. So the one another life principle is encourage. Um, in Thessalonians um, 5.14, Paul writes, Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. Encourage those who are timid. Take tender care of those who are weak. Be patient with everyone. The one another life principle there, number two is speak words of encouragement. Going down to chapter 5 and verse 10 of James, for examples of patience in suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We give great honor to those who endure under suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end, for the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. 
I've just finished reading through um, Jeremiah, uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. And they all had their share of great wins and they all had their share of great suffering. Uh, as prophets in the Old Testament, and we look to those um, men and women who um, provide an example for us of endurance under suffering. And even today, we honor people who endure under, endure under suffering. You think of people that get trapped in caves or um, down a drain pipe or up a tree, or they endure difficulty and we give them honor for you know, making it through that difficult time. Well, these, these Old Testament prophets um, had a very difficult time, as well as great victory, there was great um, suffering. But James focuses a little on Job, a man who endured great suffering. And you may be familiar with the story of Job a little bit. I would like to say, suggest that perseverance is probably a really good word to use in place of the phrase endure under suffering. Perseverance. I think perseverance can be explained as a sustained tenacity despite a prolonged difficulty. So Job, in chapter 1, we meet Job, he's pretty well off, and the devil comes to God and says, look at this guy Job, he just, he just praises you because you've done all these good things for him. If you, if you take your protection off him, I bet you he'll curse you. And uh, God says, okay, let's give it a shot. So he removes his protection and the devil um, comes in and has an attack at Job. He affects his family. People in his family die. The buildings and um, stuff around his farm, they get collapsed. Uh, his livestock are killed. And this is what Job says in chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. After servants had come in and brought him this information, he says, um, oh, it says, he stood up and tore his robe in grief. And then he shaved his head. And he fell to the ground to worship. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. And at the end, after persevering all of this suffering, in Job 42, we read, in verse 10 and 12, Job prayed for his friends. The Lord restored his fortunes. In fact, the Lord gave him twice as much as he had before. So the Lord blessed Job in the second half of his life even more than in the beginning. One of the things that I think is really important for us as we move into this uh, cultivating one another life is praying for perseverance for one another. Um, I don't think in this current society, I don't think life is going to get any easier for Christians. I think it's going to get more difficult to maintain a Christian witness out in the community. I think, I think it will get worse. So we need to pray for each other that we will have perseverance under the suffering, under the persecution, under the oppression. Because that's the one another life. 
Verse 12 of James chapter 5 says, But most of all, my brothers and sisters, never take an oath by heaven or earth or anything else. Just say a simple yes or no, so that you will not sin and be condemned. The next principle of one another living is that we maintain honesty and integrity in the words that we speak. It appears that in James's day, to take an oath was to kind of emphasize the fact that you're telling the truth. So you, you took an oath and you spoke that out and it really, really drove home the fact that you're telling the truth. But James is saying, just like Jesus did in the Sermon on the Mount, let your yes be yes and your no be no. You don't need to do all of these other things. You might have heard a modern day equivalent of taking an oath here is like saying, I swear on a stack of Bibles, I'm telling the truth. Or so you might have loaned someone a money and they say to you, I swear on my mother's grave, I'll pay you back next week. Um, it's, it's not so prevalent in today's society, but what James is really emphasizing is integrity. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. If it's not enough just to say yes or no and people take you at your word, then there's something questionable about your Christianity, I think. We need to... Be people of our word. Let our yes be yes and our no be no. James is quite definite. There is no oath required. Yes or no is quite sufficient. So the principle is maintain honesty and integrity in words and actions. In the later part of James chapter 5, there's a large section about praying. Reading from verse 13. Is any one of you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. The Lord will raise him up. And if he has sinned, he will be forgiven. So the next idea in the one another life is praying for the sick. I mean, it's a fairly rhetorical question. Is anyone uh, among you troubled? Anyone suffering? Anyone cheerful? Anyone happy? Anyone sick? It's rhetorical, isn't it? There's going to be people like that in any congregation. It hardly needs Asking the question, is any one of you suffering? He should pray. I read this little um, morning prayer for help. Dear God, so far today, I've done all right. I haven't gossiped, lost my temper, been nasty or selfish. But in a few minutes, God, I'm going to get out of bed. And from then on, I'm going to need all the help I can get. Being cheerful and experiencing the joy and expressing the joy, that's a really important thing for one another life. Praying and praising, they're both pretty important things. We do those as individuals, but it will influence one another. When James says, is any one of you sick? Call the elders to pray. And they'll anoint with oil and the prayer of faith 
will raise, and the Lord will raise that person up. And um, the prayer offered in faith there reminds us that there is a link between faith and the prayer. Oftentimes, <clears throat> sadly, people have said, well, you haven't been healed because you don't have enough faith. But it's not actually inherent on the person being prayed for to have the faith. It's really more important that the prayer has the faith to, to be able to um, effectively offer the prayer. In this case, we're talking about the elders. Now, I've had a couple of instances when uh, in this church, not recently, but over the, the time of being an elder here, where uh, we have gone to someone's home and we have been able to pray and uh, we have been able to bring some measure of relief to that person um, through the power of God. It's very important, though, that you, as a congregation, you take note that it says, call the elders to pray. So it's not really the elders' role to kind of stick their... Or I was going to say stick their nose, but I won't say that. But now I've said it. Um, to be aware of everybody's issue. If, you've, if you've got an issue which is a, quite a substantial issue and you would like to pray, to have prayer for it, then please contact the elders uh, and we would really value to be able to partner together in faith to see that issue resolved. So the uh, one another life principle here is praying for the sick. In verse 16, we read, Therefore, this is what um, Ben was talking about earlier on today. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power to prevail. So the one another life principle here is cultivating a type of relationship which is able to um, carry confession and prayer. Um, I think the kind of relationship we're talking about here is like a close relationship and mutual trust and vulnerability. So you know that there will be people here that you feel that you can trust. You want to share that particular confession with them and then pray together. And they probably feel the same for you and bring a confession and pray together for that. It's a, it's a very powerful thing, confession and prayer. And notice that James says, without any doubt, he says, prayer has great power. It's effectual. And it ha in fact, the Greek word is energio, which is we get our word energy. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous person has great power to prevail. James goes on in verse 17 to tell us about Elijah. A man, he says in verse 17, just like us. What? Elijah just, I've just finished reading in Kings about Elijah. He did amazing things. And yet James says he was a man just like us. And I think that is the point that James is trying to make. It wasn't that Elijah was any different to us. It was the prayer of faith. And the earnest prayer, do you notice he says later in that verse, Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. 
and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth yielded its crops. Again he prayed in the same um, mode, earnestly, and it did not rain. Now, in 1 Kings chapter 18 is the story where we see Elijah praying for rain. So I'm just going to pick that up there. Elijah praying in 1 Kings 18. Elijah said to Ahab, Go and get something to eat and drink, for I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. So Ahab, king of Israel, went to eat and drink. But Elijah, now this is the praying part, the earnest part. But Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel and bowed low to the ground and prayed with his face between his knees. There's a certain depth to that prayer. It's not just flicking off a quick prayer. This is a, a, a prayer, a demonstrative action showing how earnest and how heartfelt this prayer is for rain. And notice he says to his servant, go and have a look out towards the sea. And the servant went and looked. He returned and said, I couldn't see anything. And so seven times Elijah told him to go. And I take that to be in between that Elijah's praying again with his head between his knees, praying, praying, praying. There's a, oh gosh, that's a real kind of birthing kind of prayer. <laughs> I've never experienced that myself. But And then he sees the, the servant comes back and says, I saw a little cloud about the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. And then Elijah shouted, hurry to Ahab. Whoa. And tell him, climb into your chariot and go back home. If you don't hurry, the rain will stop you. So there, there it is. You see, the little tiny cloud, the earnest prayer, and then the sign. And that was enough. Elijah knew that his prayer had been answered. Um, Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, said, True prayer is measured by weight, not length. A single groan before God may have more fullness of prayer in it than a fine oration of great length. I take it to be like words are like clothes on a person. Words in a prayer are like clothes on a person. We hear the words, it's an outward kind of form, but there's, the words are kind of conveying an inner desire. So the clothes cover the person. And we don't see their in, inmost parts, but the prayer, the words are like that in a prayer. The intent or the inner desire, in fact, is more important than the words. And that means everyone can pray. It doesn't matter the words that you say. It's the intention in your heart. Everyone can pray. Finally, and if the, yeah, here they come. Look, well, prophetic. Uh, verse 19, my brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, consider this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover over a multitude of sins. So the final principle is in the one another life is the preservation and the restoration of the spiritual life of our brothers or sisters. 
It's a very important role that we have. He says, if one of you should wander, and no one's exempt from this. And so it's a very important role that we take on as brothers and sisters in the family of God to look out for one another. I like how he says, one of you, if one of you should wander from the truth. Uh, you've probably been on bushwalks in the mountains. And uh, you know, it's very easy, if you get off the path, it's very easy to lose your way. If you go too far from the path, you actually can't find your way back. Consider how much better it would be if when you find yourself in that position, you're off the main path, someone on the path notices that you're going and gives you a shout and you can come back to the path because that other person is looking out and calling you back. If there's no one on the path calling you back, you could wander and wander and wander and never find your way back. In the spiritual life, that's the one another uh, life that we're talking about. It's so important. Now, of course, God can do a, an, a ministry to a person, in a person, bring them back sovereignly. But most often, God chooses to use people as his instruments, to, instruments of restoration, of preservation, of bringing people back. That's why it's really important for us. I'd like to finish with a quote from Spurgeon again, great preacher. He says, Nowadays it is the fashion, if a man falls, to have nothing to do with him. Men say, he's a bad fellow, we will not go after him. Beloved, suppose he is the worst. Is not that the reason why you should go most after him? The worse the case, the more is the reason why we should go. But suppose the man is a child of God and you have cast him off. Remember, he is your brother. He is one with Christ as much as you are. He is justified. He has the same righteousness that you have. And if when he has sinned, you despise him, in that you despise him, you despise the master. Take heed. You yourself may be tempted and may one day fall. Like David, you might walk to the top of your house rather too high and look down from the top and you may see something which shall bring you to sin. Then what will you say? If the brothers pass you by with a sneer and take no notice of you? Oh, if we have one backslider connected with our church, let us take special care of him. Don't deal harshly with him. Recollect, you would have been a backslider too if it were not for the grace of God. I advise you, go and seek out the lost sheep. For remember that if one of you do err from the truth and one convert him, remember that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. It's a vital part of the one another life. I'm not going to say it's the most important, but I'm going to say it's very vital. 
we can be a part of changing the present and the future for a brother or a sister. The principle there in our one another life is to preserve and restore the spiritual life of brothers or sisters. So, the one another life is rich, adventurous and fulfilling. It's a life filled and lived with one another. We live it out through demonstrating patience, speaking words of encouragement, praying for perseverance in our brothers and sisters, maintaining honesty and integrity in the words and actions that we do, praying for the sick, cultivating relationships for confession and prayer, and in the preservation and restoration of the spiritual life of our brothers and sisters. It's a life lived one for the other. Can we pray together? Dear Lord, this one another life stands in opposition to the prevailing thought of our age, which is me first. James tells us, Lord, that it is a family affair. It's a relationship of brothers and sisters. Instead of isolation, it speaks of togetherness. It requires us to have our eyes up and looking out and a commitment to speak, act and pray to encourage and preserve life of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Help us, Holy Spirit. Help us, Holy Spirit, to cultivate this one another life here in our church so that as opposition increases, we might be strengthened to continue in the faith. And then those who are looking in from outside might say, see how these Christians love one another. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your help in living the one another life. In Jesus' name, amen.